0: this morning. For those of you, I was looking around the room, I know there are some new faces that I don't recognize, which is great. We love it when new folks come to our services. And so if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill, um, and I get to have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at the table. And I know, you know, Cody kind of mentioned it a second ago, when you walk into a new church, you're not really sure what to expect. Here's our hope for you. Our hope is that while you are here, your faith comes alive. And what we mean by that is that faith begins to guide everything that you do, rather than it just being this experience that you have on a Sunday or this thing that's there if you find yourself in trouble that it really does guide everything that you do in life and hopefully you'll hear some of that in the message this morning Um, but if you do have questions about anything that you hear today or questions about the church I would love to visit with you for a while Um, after the service this morning I'll be available in the lobby I'll head out to our um, welcome desk in that area somewhere you can find me um, and if, I, if, if uh, I just haven't met you yet and you just want to introduce yourself really quick, I would love for you to stop by and do that as well. So um, let me pray for us and then we're going to jump into the message this morning. Father, thanks for uh, the, the, the time that we've had so far this morning as we have sung praise to you. Um, God, we recognize that we are here um, because of what you've done for us. And I know as we gather together today, there are likely many different things on our hearts, for many of us, different reasons why we gather, different motivations that we have. And Father, I pray that in the midst of all of those things that you would speak to us and you would help us to understand a little bit more about the relationship that we have with you, what that looks like, what that means. Um, Father, I recognize today that we need the work of your Holy Spirit in us with some of the things that we're going to be talking about. It's the the Spirit who reveals things in our lives that need to... uh, we need to change to correct the wrong things so that we do what's right. And I pray, God, that that our eyes would be open today um, because of the work of your Spirit within each of us. Um, Father, be at work in our hearts um, and speak through me. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So this is week two of our series uh, called Walk Like a Christian. And after the services last week, I had uh, a realization of how old I am Um, because I got some feedback from a few people who did not recognize the song in our little bumper. So then I started to ask around a little bit. It's like, hey, have you ever heard this song before? And a number of people said, no, I've literally never heard that song once in my entire life. Okay, so the only way that this series works is if you know the song. So you now have an assignment. If you have never heard The Bengals Walk Like an Egyptian, you have an assignment to do after the service. When we're done, don't even leave your seats. Or maybe you can do it out in the lobby, but get out your phone really fast, go to YouTube and search Walk Like an Egyptian, The Bengals, and watch the video. Because the reason we're doing this is to put an earworm in your mind so that every day you're going to be you hate you're going to hate church. Because you've thought about this song all the time, but with a new focus to it, so instead of walking like an Egyptian, you're going to walk like a Christian, okay? So I'm dead serious, 100% serious for those of you guys that have never heard that song before. You do that today before you get in your car and leave. That's the only way that this series works, okay? Walk like a Christian. Last week we began by talking about how Christians walk together. Today the title of the message is Christians walk differently. Several weeks ago, we had just gotten back from vacation, and we were finishing up our last minute back-to-school shopping, and Caroline, our daughter, she is 12 years old, she came to me and said, Dad, I need new gym shoes, athletic shoes. And so I took Caroline shopping. Now, in our family, I am most of the time the one responsible for buying uh, athletic shoes for the kids. uh, And It's not because I'm an expert in athletic shoes at all. I just know enough to recognize that there are some shoes that have a lot of R&D research and development that goes into the design of shoes so that they perform well at the activity that they are designed to be performed in. I also know, on the other hand, that there are some shoes that claim that they are designed for a certain activity, but in reality, there is no development and research that's put into them other than the only design is just what they look like. And so if the kids come to me and say, hey, Dad, I need a new pair of shoes for this activity, I want to make sure that we get them a pair of shoes that is good for that activity. So that's the reason I go. So I took Caroline to our local sporting goods store uh, to go look at the shoes. And so we walked up and down all of the aisles looking at the different shoes. And you've got to understand, Caroline, her foot is small enough so she can still wear kids' shoes, like the last size of kids' size, whatever that is, like six or something, but she can also wear women's shoes. So we like, are doubling the aisles at the sporting goods store, right? Up and down all of the aisles, both kids' shoes and women's shoes. And as we're walking, she's not she really, uh, doesn't seem interested in anything. So we got finished, and I said, Caroline, do you see anything that you like? Anything that you want to try on? And she said, you know, Dad, I think they all look weird. And I said, yeah, I understand, because I think all shoes look weird. And then she said to me, well, how do you ever buy shoes? And without even thinking about it, this is a true story. I want you to know it, a true story. Without really thinking about it, I said, you know what, Caroline? People convince me that some shoes aren't as weird looking as I thought they were. And what I was describing in that moment was the power of culture. It's the cultural forces around us that cause us to do certain things. And I'm going to define culture for us, so just so that we're on the same page. So culture could be defined as the values and behaviors of a particular group. I would almost define it as being the beliefs and values that make the behaviors of a particular group normal. A lot of times when we hear culture, we think pop culture, like music television, movies, those kinds of things. And that's an aspect of culture, but culture is bigger than that. It's more than just that. I think it's really everything that's influencing us, almost the unseen things that influence uh, what we do and why we do what we do. At times, the influence that culture has on us can be negative. So it can lead us to do things that we probably shouldn't do, But culture can also have a positive influence on us. It may lead us to do things that we ought to be doing. And then at other times, it can be neutral. It's neither positive nor negative. And I would say a lot of maybe like fashion trends fit into that. I'm going to tell you how old I am without telling you how old I am. You've you've seen those like memes and stuff, right? So for a second, I'm going to tell you how old I am without telling you how old I am. It is the influence of culture that caused me when I was in college and all of us who were around that age to wear baggy jeans that had this little um, hook of fabric on the side uh, and then on the other side, a pocket for like our pencil. And we called those... Uh, carpenter jeans, and literally that was the only thing that we wore. I never once saw somebody use the hook on the side for your hammer uh, or put their pencil in their pocket, but like we thought like this was really cool. And I don't know what it was, how culture influenced us in that way, but for whatever reason, that was all we wore are these carpenter jeans, and we thought they were the coolest thing ever. But it's those cultural forces that are at work on us all the time influencing what we do and how we do what we do, and most of the time, most people never stop and think about how. It's influencing us all the time, but we never stop and think, well, why am I doing this, or how am I being influenced? But as Christians, we can't do that, because we're called to walk differently. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12.1, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. We're t- supposed to be different. We're supposed to walk different. And so this morning what we're going to do is talk about what that means and how we actually do that. And we're going to continue in our series in the book of Ephesians, picking up where we left off last week, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17-24. through 24. So we're going to be this morning Ephesians 4, 17-24. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. Um, or, uh, I, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, it'll be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Or, um, if you are a Version Bible app user, you can find your way to our live event. Or, if you got the card, the One Thing card on the way in, there's a QR code that will take you to the web version of that live event. And you can follow along there. Um, just want to point that out to you. Let me read this. Ephesians 4, 17-24. It says... Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that's not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity of truth. There are three commands, three phrases that really are the the heart and the core of this section. It's put off the old be renewed, and put on the new. And so for the majority of our time this morning, those are the things that we're going to focus on, those three commands. Put off the old, be renewed, put on the new. We're going to talk about what they mean. But before I get there, I want to give you a few caveats related to this this section and our understanding and study of this section, because I, I want to point this out. As Paul begins in verse 17, he says, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning non-Jewish people, but throughout the New Testament, when it is used, especially when the Apostle Paul uses it, it's a reference to anyone who is far from God. He says, no longer live like the Gentiles in the futility of their thoughts. And then he lays out what that looks like, the futility of their thoughts. And he says, they're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance in them and the hardness of their hearts. And they became callous and gave themselves to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. As Christians, when we read a passage, when we read this passage or a passage like this, and maybe it's true the longer that we are Christians, it is really easy for us to read that, read a list of sins like that, and all automatically think outside and think about them. But this section is not about the bad people who do the bad things. But when we read that, that's what we can think about, is we fall into this trap of thinking, look at the influences that are on them and how they're doing these things, and we can't really be a part of that. And then all we do is we sit back and we complain about how bad the world is. In a way that's really similar to what Jesus described when he referred to the Pharisees, saying that they would walk up to the front of the temple and pray in a loud voice, God, thank you for not making me like everybody else. But I want you to understand this passage is not about them. It's about us. Because the first thing that Paul says is, I want you to no longer live as the Gentiles live. So he's writing to these believers in the city of Ephesus and he says to them, no longer live." Like the Gentiles live. So, that list of sins that's listed in there, and the mindset, that is all, those were things that were all true of the Ephesian believers. And so, Paul is saying, look, you can't just live like you used to live, like you have lived in the past, because now you are called to be different. And so, when we read this passage, the purpose is not for us to look outside and say, what's wrong with them? The purpose is for us to look inside and say, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with me that's causing my behavior not to be any different than anyone else around me? Because Christians walk differently. Now, How do we do that? We put off the old, we are renewed, and we put on the new. So I'm going to tell you what those things mean. Verse 22, Paul says, but this is not how you came to know Christ. That's verse 20. You were taught in him, verse 22, to take off your former way of life, your old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires. So the first thing that we read in Paul's instructions is take off your former way of life, the old self. And certainly there are behaviors and practices that are associated with the old self. So there are certain things that we should not do, simple behaviors that we should not participate in, but yet behind that are a system of beliefs and values that either cause that behavior that we should not do or allow that behavior that we should not do. And so as we think about putting off the old self, I want us to think, okay, what are those values that allow behavior that should not be a part of my life? Or what are those beliefs that are shaping the way that I think, that that are creating these behaviors that should not be a part of my life? Well, the first belief that is a part of the old self is a belief that I must appease the gods so that bad things don't happen. I'm going to put this right here on my little table and hopefully it stays. Now remember this. Ephesus is a real city with real people who had real problems. And so these new believers in the city of Ephesus, they are influenced by the culture that they exist in. And Ephesus was not a godless culture. In fact, there wasn't really such a thing in the 1st century as a godless culture because There were so many things that people couldn't explain, and the way to explain things that couldn't be explained another way was with the existence of a God. And so ancient cultures were almost always polytheistic. Like, where does the rain come from? Well, God must allow that. Well, how do people have children? I don't don't really know. It, It must be a God who's in charge of that. Why is it that sometimes we have good harvests and other years we have bad harvests? Well, I don't know. It must be a God who is responsible for that. And so because of the existence of all of these different gods, there was this belief system that said, I must appease the gods so that the bad things that I don't want to happen don't happen, and the good things that I do want to happen do happen. And I want you to know that that belief still exists today even inside the church. Because there are a lot of people who kind of get this idea of, I am going to do these things for God so that I get that from God. It's really easy to just kind of view our Christian walk as this simple exchange. Like, I do certain things so that I get certain things. So I go to church. I serve I give generously, and the reason that I do all those things is because I want God to bless me so that the good things that I want will happen and the bad things that I don't want to happen won't happen, so I want God to bless me and not punish me, so therefore I will do all of these things. I would submit, though, that's a belief of the old self. It's a religion of appeasement. Second thing that's a part of this Old self, this mindset, these values that shape the way that we think according to the old self is that there is no real purpose to human existence. All ancient cultures had a creation story. So there are many, many different creation stories that try to explain how we got here, why we're here, and all of that. For the most part, all of those ancient creation stories have one thing in common, and that is that there is no real purpose to human existence. In first century Ephesus, the culture was likely uh, significantly influenced still by the origin stories of Greek mythology. I want to do the best that I can to make a a, a long story as short as possible, so I'm going to give it to you. Here, Here it goes. So there was a God who existed. And he had children. But there was a prophecy that one of his children would one day take his place as the leader of all of the gods. And he didn't like that, and so he ate all of his children. Somehow, a god n- named Zeus, we are familiar with him. Zeus survived, and ultimately, through a series of circumstances, Zeus became the head of all of the gods. Well, the other gods didn't like that, and so there were battles back and forth. In the course of time, earth was created. Zeus ultimately defeated all of the other gods and asserted his dominance and control over the gods. In the aftermath of that, he went to a god named Prometheus and told him to create man. And so he did so. But Prometheus had this brother who wasn't really smart. He's kind of an idiot. And so he was involved in the creation of of man as well. And he gave man kind of some negative characteristics. Primarily, you can just look at it this way. We're just not very smart. So then, Pandora was created. Pandora was the first female that was created, and Pandora was given a box. We've heard Pandora's box. This is where it comes from. So Pandora was given this box, and she was told, "Whatever you do, don't open the box." And what happens with everybody when you tell them, "Don't do that. Don't open the box. Don't touch the button." Everybody's going to open the box or touch, the push the button, whatever it is. And so she opened the box out of the box came all of these negative uh, characteristics like evil and deceit and all of these things plagued humanity. At the end of the story, here's what you find. There is no real purpose for human existence. There's no purpose for human existence outside of just to simply entertain the gods with all of our misery. Now, when that happens, when there is no real purpose to human existence, the only thing that we are left with is to think that my happiness is my highest goal. And so I have to do everything that I can to make myself happy. I'll get the stick on here. And again, I want you to know that belief, that infiltrates the church today. I've talked to many people over the years related to decisions that they're making. Sometimes it's, a, it's not necessarily a, a good or bad decision. It's just a decision. Right? It's not sinful or not, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it is a decision that somebody's making that I think might be leading towards sinful behavior or something like that. And so I'll ask the question, how, like, why do you want to do that? What's your motivation? And I've heard a number of times over the years, well, I know God wants me to be happy. Listen, understand, God wants you to find your joy in him, but I recognize this, God's purpose for my life is to make me holy first, more so than he wants to make me happy. But when I am convinced, when I'm living according to this value that my happiness is the highest goal, or I think that the reason that God exists is to make me happy, it is going to lead to all kinds of behaviors that are not to be a part of my life. Paul would say that's stuff that we need to put off because that's a part of the old man. And so when I'm living according to these values, when it's just uh, I'm seeking to appease the gods, when there's no purpose in my existence other than to make me happy, because that's the only thing that makes sense, then I will always want more. And that's what Paul gets at in verse 19 when he says, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity. For their practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. And again, I believe that that shows up. It's predominant within our culture today. It even shows up in the church. In the world it is. More money, more power, more sex. Whatever it is, more is always better. But, that shows up in subtle ways even inside the church. Have you ever heard this? You can't out give God. So that then I give so that I receive more back because more is always better. Do you know what Paul would say to that? He would say that you were not, that is not how you learned You did not not come to know Christ that way, is verse 20. Assuming you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus is to take off the old self. These are beliefs and values that shape the way that we think and allow behaviors to happen that should not be a part of our lives. And Paul says, put off the old self. And the second thing that Paul says is be renewed. So there are a certain set of values that shape our behavior. Paul says we're to put off those things. The only way that we can put off those things and not live according to those values is to be renewed. Renewed in our our thinking. Renewed in the spirit of our minds. That's verse 23. That renewal, it starts with the truth of the gospel. The gospel is this. When I could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything. It's the truth that I desperately needed something that I could not do on my own, but someone else accomplished it for me. That truth has to shape our worldview, because it's not I can do it or I could do it. It is I couldn't do it, I can't do it, but Jesus accomplished everything for me, and that changes everything. But this renewal, it's not just a one-time experience. It's not, I just have this experience, and then all of a sudden my life is different, and I never worry about those things anymore. I never question, uh, I I just want to be happy. So this renewal continues every single day through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because even after we come to faith in Christ, these values still exist and these forces are still on us because there's not a time where we think, oh, I'm never concerned about my happiness anymore. And maybe it even happens in subtle ways that we don't recognize, and that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, helping us to see the things that we're getting wrong so that we can get them right. So we're to put off the old, not to live according to these values that shape our behavior, but to be renewed and then put on the new. And so just like the old system, these old, this old culture has values with it, there is a new culture that we are now a part of with a new set of values that we are to live by. And the first of those values is that there is a God who loves me and wants the best for me. This truth shapes the way that we relate to God. Because when we think that there's a God ex- who exists out there somewhere, who is just waiting for me to mess up because he desires to punish me, that will lead us into a religion of appeasement. So just tell me the things that I have to do so that God is not mad at me. And then Christianity, our relationship with God, is simply a checklist. Where we just check the boxes. But that is not who God has revealed himself to be. God has revealed himself to be a God who loves us and wants the best for us, and he has proven just how much he loves us. I often think about the story of the prophet Hosea. We read about Hosea in the Old Testament. God showed up to Hosea and said, Hosea, I want your life to be a living example of my love for my people. Sounds like a great assignment. God said, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. But Hosea was he was a prophet of God. He was obedient to do what God told him to do. And so he went and married a lady named Gomer. And he loved her unconditionally, loved her the best that he possibly could. But even in spite of the love that he gave to her, she turned her back on his love and went back to the streets. God showed up again and said, Hosea, I'm not done. You're to continue to love your wife, even when that means that you are to go and buy her back off of the streets. And you take her back once again. See, that's how much God loves us. In spite of the fact that we turn our back from, on, on God, he pursues us with his love to the point that he purchased us back through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we still struggle against the old self and the sins that are a part of that, God continues to pursue us in his love. And God gives us parameters to live by. And when he gives us those parameters, he's not saying live this way because I'm going to keep something from you. He is saying live this way because I'm seeking to protect you. God loves us. And he wants the best for us. And I know some of you are here and you may have all kinds of different ideas about God. And I want you to know all of those things are wrong because fundamentally God has shown himself to be a God who loves us unconditionally and desires the best for us. Second value that's a part of the the new self that we are to put on is the truth that there is a purpose for life. And that purpose comes from God. Our life, it's not an accident. We're created by God on purpose. Created in the image of God. Meaning that all that we are is to be a reflection of all that God is. Paul said we're created in his image with purity. Created in the image of God. Focused with this outward purpose focused in Jesus when he said, go make disciples. And so we understand, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, our purpose is to point people back to Jesus. It is external, it is not internal. And then as I begin to understand that there is a God who loves me and wants the best for me, and there's a God who has given me a purpose to live by, then the last value that I have, as I begin to understand that pleasing God is to be my highest goal. Rather than seeking to live for my own happiness, there's a purpose that's greater than me, it's outside of me, and it's my desire to please God in everything that I do in light of all that God has done for me. I've shared this before many times. I grew up in church. Growing up in church, we used to, I mean, I'm again, how old I am, we used to have hymnals. We would take a hymnal and we would sing hymns. And I've talked about some of those in the past. Sometimes they're not the greatest uh, theological songs ever. Sometimes I think that they're really weird. But I am so thankful that I had many of the songs that we sang because they radically shaped my life. There was a song that we used to sing that said this, My life, my love, I give to thee, thou Lamb of God who died for me. Oh, may I ever faithful be, my Savior and my God. Listen to this. I'll live for him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. When we recognize how much God loves us, the purpose that God has given to us, and all that God has done for us, why would we live any other way than to say, God, how can I make you proud of the way that I live? And when that's my focus, my focus changes. And it's not on my happiness anymore, but it's how do I bring joy to others around me. I wonder if you've ever been here where you've thought to yourself, I'm not happy. Why am I not happy? Maybe it's because the focus has been on what makes me happy rather than how do I bring joy to the lives of people around me. There's a system of beliefs and values that we are to put off. Those things aren't to be a part of our lives anymore. We're to be renewed because there is a new system of values and beliefs that we are to live by. And that's why Christians walk differently. But even as we recognize what is a part of the old self and what's a part of the new self, we talk about what it means to be renewed, there is an incredible challenge that lies in front of us. The challenge for us is that we must fight against the old self to put on the new self because the pull to go back is so strong. I mean, think about it this way. This this is a part of who we were. This is what shapes our way of life and still shapes the world that we live in. But Paul says we're not supposed to do that anymore. We're supposed to be living according to these values, but the pull to go back is so strong. It's like your old ratty hoodie that sits in the bottom of your drawer somewhere. It's got holes in the arms, the pockets ripped off the front, and it stinks. And you have lots of new hoodies and better hoodies to wear, but there's something about putting that old hoodie on. It makes you feel good, even though when you wear it, it causes you to stink too. Put off the old, because we've got better clothes to wear. That pull is so strong. And that's why we can't do this alone. Christians walk together in part because Christians are called to walk differently. These things aren't to be a part of our lives anymore. This value system, these beliefs, and the behaviors that that result from them, that's not us. That's not who we are because we've been called to live differently. It's incredibly difficult, but as we surround ourselves with folks who love us and can encourage us, we get better at living according to this new system and putting off the old as we're renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me?